Hey, we're back. Yogi Kane. With <laughs> <laughs> Mark up? here. Back. We're going to talk about one of our most beloved topics. Now, I think it's a really interesting topic for a lot of people. Um, it's one of the more commonly sort of used or, you know, Sanskrit words, I think. The word karma. Yeah. Yeah. So We've gonna... appropriated it into English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's even a bumper sticker, right? Uh, my karma ran over your dog. <laughs> <laughs> so right, the right, word right, right. karma has definitely, definitely entered into the everyday English mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think what would be really good is to back back up and look at the word and look at its root and look at its etymology a little bit mm -hmm. and kind of start technical and then we can kind of branch right. out from there. So the scholar here is going to give you the breakdowns, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just on the simple, simple level, karma yeah. just basically means action. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and, and that can be used in kind of any any context, right? So like karma yoga could just be the action that you do of lifting the rocks or building the the rock wall. But mm -hmm. the intent behind that and the the reasoning behind that starts to to create a much more um, colorful picture of what karma might imply, or what or what action might um, right. might produce. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but in and of itself. We could think of karma as just raw action yeah. and not necessarily associated with human beings. So, of mm -hmm. course, when we use karma in a general conversational mm -hmm. context, we always assume that mm -hmm. it, it is something that results from somebody's good behavior or bad behavior. Mm -hmm. But as a starting place, we need to understand action is just action. The action of the earth rotating on its axis is karma. Right. The action of the sun Glow, you know, glowing and the moon shining in the evening is karma. There's some, mm -hmm. there's an action that's taking place that is the product of numerous different actions or causes and conditions or causes and effect that produce right. any kind of action. But if we don't overlay any philosophy on it, mm -hmm. it's just action. Right. So karma as just as just action before intent mm -hmm. is the basic energy of of karma. Mm -hmm. As human beings, we almost always have intent. Mm -hmm. In any given moment, we're intending to do something, say something, accomplish something. Right. And so then karma becomes way more juicy to talk about when it's it's linked up with intent and it's linked up with concept and it's linked up with cosmology and, and a way of seeing, framing ourselves in the yeah. world and then acting according. Right. Well, I mean, let, let's go back a little bit in terms of like where did karma, that concept of karma and say like yogic so, because we're talking about like yogic worldviews and stuff too, mm -hmm. to it, right? So, where did karma, this idea, come from? And it's sort of the counter argument in a way to like fatalism, right? Or like, okay, that we have no control, even though karma is often interpreted this way by people. Mm. It's like we have no control over anything because everything's already predetermined, mm. right? Like we have our destinies, we're born. Might as well just do what you do because it doesn't matter. You know, you're born. A poor person you're born a rich person you're gonna have your destiny anyway so fate nothing, is fixed kind yeah of fate is fixed versus karma okay depending on your actions the results different results arise mm -hmm. so the teaching would be spiritually is like okay we'll take control of your karma and if you understand what type of actions to take then you will have a different result right right yeah so, so it's cause and effect cause and effect yeah, yeah. so i think in the in the in the 
framework of the Indian spiritual traditions or the traditions that grew up on the subcontinent, not just, mm -hmm. you know, Hatha Yoga or Vedanta. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you could say it's, it's you find it in Buddhist, you know, traditions, right. you find it in the shamanic traditions. Mm -hmm. There's this notion that, okay, karma just is action, but action, action can be shaped. Right. And so if you shape the action, then you shape what the action produces. So, right. you know, to use a common, you know, term as the seed, so the fruit. Right. Right. So if you shape the action consciously, then you shape the result. Mm -hmm. So then comes around the idea that is, is our fate fixed or is it workable? And from the understanding of action and the law of shaping action, there's a really strong argument against the notion that everything is just a fixed mechanical, you know, universe, right. because right. you can really nuance the cycle of action or the string of action, the law of cause and effect by, by engaging your free will. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we could argue all day long if, if people are going to take the stance of fate or free will, and that's not our objective here, but, and I don't even know where, where we would stand, but it's, right. there's a certain amount of free will. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of, of fixed, fixed fate. Like mm -hmm. I can't change my ethnicity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I can change my posture. Yeah. I can't change the right. fact that I have lungs, but I can change how I breathe. Yeah. Good point. Right. It's true, huh? Right. So there's a lot of room for working with action right. to change the string of cause and effect. Yeah. And to me, that's what's, that's what's like infinitely juicy about yoga is what right. do you want to do with cause and effect? It's happening. Yeah. Karma's happening. Yeah. Even if you sort of don't believe, you don't have to believe in past lives or anything, just in this, in this mm -hmm. moment, mm -hmm. it's easy to see how most of what's, what's presenting itself right now is the product of what happened before. Right, right. But the fact that I'm speaking to you in this particular language is because I was born in America. Right. And so that's karma in a sense, I'm right. speaking this language. Right, right. How a previous set of actions contributed to the cause of this moment. Right. Right. And it's constantly happening, right? I think we had a conversation before about like how gray also cause and effect is in a way in terms of like, okay, where did your current action come from? Mm -hmm. Where did the motivation, the impetus, the physical body even, right? The intention, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. right? And there's always something prior, right? That happened that contributed to that. You contributed to you being here, you having that particular thought. Where did it arise from? Did you spontaneously, like, did the thought spontaneously arise or did you intend it to arise? Or was it some after effect of a previous thought process that cascaded into the manifestation of the current moment thought? And it's really hard to know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, the Buddha, I think, is quoted to have said, okay, you know, students were like, can you explain karma to us? And he's like, no, it's super mundane. So it's on the level of super mundane cognition. Unless you're a Buddha, you won't be able to understand it. So just take my word for it. This is what I'm going to give you. And just run with that for now, because you won't be able to completely get it intellectually. To see how all causes and effects <laughs> linked up to lead to this moment is, is exceedingly Yeah, I can't even conceptualize it, yeah. Right. I mean, it's one of the it's one of the ways that, you know, in in the old Chan tradition to to mm -hmm. stop the student's mind. Right. It's right. Like, right. OK, right. let's talk about the chain, the, the incessant chain of cause and effect. Right. So what was, you know, what was your face before your mother and father met each other? Yeah. Or, you know, what were you going to think before I asked you what you were going to think? Right. It's like what preceded what we don't know yeah. happened. Yeah. So uh, what I love about karma is it's both totally tangible. Right. 
that I could see how what I how I behave in this moment is going to directly affect what happens in the next few moments. Mm -hmm. And there's a mysterious component to karma. Yeah. That is, did I choose to be an English speaker? Right. I mean, this body happened to be born from two Caucasian parents in America, right. but it very well could have been born in a completely different continent. Yeah. yeah. And so there's this element of karma that's completely out of our, of our free will spectrum to choose. Conscious volition, at least, yeah. And yet it's operative. Right, right. It's a paradox. Or we could argue, you know, did I choose this body or not? But there's there's really no way to prove or disprove. And so yeah. the question sort of falls on its own right. on its own face. Right. But there's an aspect of karma that doesn't fall on its face that's mm -hmm. super tangible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as yoga students, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. Right. It's not so much like a belief. People ask, do you believe in karma? Mm -hmm. Like, do I believe that someone you know broke into my car that the reason for that is that i did something bad in a past life i have absolutely no no grounds to believe or disbelieve that yeah in my direct experience i don't know right that's the reality i mean if you want to get real with it yeah. I'm, if I'm, I'm only getting real with myself on that yeah. someone else may say that they know but i have absolutely no idea right when i'm right. honest with myself i think for most of us if we're honest with ourselves <laughs> that's what we would say but that's the that's another interesting thing though is like how comfortable are we culturally as Americans, you know, to just say, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't know. I don't really know. Right. And just to, to factor that into the, we always have to, we always come up with these answers. And like whenever I talk to people, it's like myself included, right? We always come up with these answers as if we freaking know. Yeah. And it's such bullshit, right? <laughs> Usually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, I mean, I think with karma, it's just ever more evident that most mm -hmm. of the time we don't know. But that doesn't deny the fact that, that the law of cause and effect is operative. So right. it's, it's, it's well, because like, everything we do is based on an assumption of cause and effect, right? Right. Why do, you, why do you go to the grocery store? Because you believe that if you go there, you can buy food. And why do you buy food? Because if you believe if you buy that food and you eat it, you will find some fulfillment. Like, why do you go to yoga class? Because you think through that cause, right, of going to a yoga class, you're going to feel better or feel stretchier or look better or whatever that effect is. So our whole life is based on an understanding and an assumption and acceptance of the law of cause and effect. Right. Yeah. I think the big, the big issue with the assumption we have about the law of cause and effect is that, is that we can clearly control the causes that we initiate to produce the exact effects that we want. And that there's a one-to-one -one direct correlation between right. the way we behave and the results that we get. Yeah. And to me, this is where self-reflection becomes absolutely paramount because that assumption is a dangerous assumption mm -hmm. in, in my experience. So, so repeat that again. Like maybe use some different words to repeat that. An example is like, I have the unchecked assumption that if I... If I'm feeling depressed and I eat a carton of ice cream, that I will then no longer have the same level of suffering and I'll alleviate my suffering and increase the experience of pleasure, which I mm -hmm. desire to feel. Right. And if, I, if I'm not looking at a longer string of cause and effect, and I'll, I'll, mm. I'll speak from personal experience, right? <laughs> that would be a tendency that I would have. Right. But I know having observed the law of cause and effect longer than the 15 minutes of feeling depressed, 
-hmm. and the five minutes it takes to walk down the street to grab an ice cream, the five minutes it takes to eat the ice cream, and then the two hours of feeling stuffy and congested afterwards, that the actual reality of the cause and effect is that a small spike of increased pleasurable sensation is in fact the effect of the cause of getting that ice cream. I just happen to not digest ice cream very well. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with ice cream, but for my right. body, it doesn't digest that well. Right. For two hours after that, there's an increase of discomfort, an increase of dukkha. Mm -hmm. So I'm manipulating the law of cause and effect to get what I want, but I actually get more of what I don't want. <laughs> so most of us are right. assumed masters of the law of cause and effect because we right. pursue what it is we think we want. Right. But we don't follow through by observing the larger string of cause and effect. And when we start doing that, we realize that actually we really suck at manipulating the law of cause and effect to right. our advantage right. because we keep producing similar results. This is mm -hmm. what samsara means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We keep producing similar results where we cause our own suffering. Right. Well, especially when our attempt to fulfill our understanding of cause and effect through action is based on, like you said, a short-chained sort of reflective process, meaning right. like our perception of cause and effect is very short and small, right? Right. Ice cream, pleasure, versus like you said, looking at the larger chain of events, right. stream of events, coalescing of factors and whatnot. Well, so that's that, yeah. the, so if I don't, in the moment I'm thinking, oh, I'll go get the ice cream. If I don't look forward to what I want, which is a moment of wanting to get rid of the current experience and override it with a more pleasurable one, mm -hmm. then the law of cause and effect can work for me. If I look back a little bit, if I look backwards at the prior causes and their effects, and then the prior causes and their effects, and I just look back a little bit. I don't have right. to look back 10,000 right. births or anything, but if I just look back at all of the other times that I was feeling down mm -hmm. and then tried to do something that would give me immediate gratification, I can mm -hmm. see the string of cause and effect didn't work. That I actually didn't get the alleviation of the discomfort, but I actually right. increased right. you know, a, right. a discomfort and produced a new type of discomfort that might be pathological. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, out of, out of that contemplation of cause and effect, there gets to be this illumination where, okay, there's another option. What if I just sit with and feel the experience of feeling a little down this afternoon mm -hmm. and don't go grab the ice cream. And then if I feel like it, not because I need it, but because it would be delightful, go have the ice cream, but not as an antidote to feeling down. Right. All right. of a sudden cause and effect then gave me a lot of insight about the way I behave in the world and how I usually cause my own suffering. Right. right, right? right, right. <laughs> so that's kind of what I mean yeah. by, mm -hmm. you know, how, mm -hmm how usually we're not, we're, we're mm -hmm. less skillful than we think we are mm -hmm. at manipulating cause and effect. Yeah, so, so I mean, that brings me to this sort of yogic place, right? Of like, okay, as yogic practitioners, if we're going to approach karma and or cause and effect from what you just told me, my thought would be, okay, it would be wise to be with experience instead of immediately trying to run from it, right? And then to reflect on, hmm, where has this come from? You know, where is this leading? And then what am I trying to do to avoid this thing? And what will be the consequence of that? Because it's like, as soon as we're trying to avoid an experience too, compulsively, there's a desire to run away from that experience, right? Mm -hmm. And we're creating the karma, in a sense, a habit mm -hmm. through action of avoiding experience. Mm -hmm. What's the long-term karma of that? The effect of that mm. cause and effect. I, mean, I think that's an interesting. Wait. So can you 
because that's mm-hmm. really important what you just said. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about how the repeated the repeated action of a certain cause and effect cycle creates a habit? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really huge. Yeah. Like so I mean, car- yeah, go ahead. yeah, this is the way that I've contemplated karma quite a bit. And I think this is where like meditation is really important and useful, you know, is that we need to have developed a certain level of concentration and mental clarity and lucidity to be able to stay with experience and phenomena long enough that we can observe it lucidly and actually start to look at it and analyze cause and effect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise, but, but yeah. give me an example because I, I want. I want well, I'm leading to, up to that, but, but yeah, yeah just the, the habit think, part. Right. Right. So how does cause and effect create a, a habit or a sure, rut? And what's, sure. what does that do? I'm getting there. I'm just saying that. But to even do that, I think it's important to have a certain level of like mental clarity and training from meditation so you can even contemplate these things mm. because as far as i understand my mental clarity in the past was so poor i wouldn't have ever been able to stay with the thought process long enough to even reflect on okay what are my habits what am i actually doing to be able to analyze that i don't think everyone can do that if your mm. mind's really clouded and if you're really rushed and busy mm. and if you're not able to stay with experience you can't even do that mm. so then once you have a little bit of that capacity through meditation practice or asana even being able to stay in a posture for like a couple minutes and breathe, then you can start to look at your experience and analyze, okay, what actions am I taking? And what is this contributing to long-term, right? So for example, mental habits, probably the most overlooked. If I'm thinking about something a certain way, like for example, my mental habit, it's a subtle mental habit of avoiding and running away from uncomfortable experiences. If I keep doing that, it forms a habit that I do compulsively, which means I do it without even thinking about it. It's like, you know, me breathing. I don't even think about it, right? Breath just happens. So I compulsively avoid all my experiences that are unpleasant, which means that I'm never looking directly at what's causing it or staying with it long enough to be able to understand where is it coming from? Mm -hmm. At which point, the sort of habit of engaging in experiences that create unpleasant experiences will continue to multiply because they're never being addressed or cleared or changed. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of answer? Yeah, like yeah. That? So I just want to make sure that that point is t- super clear because mm-hmm. basically that is the operative component of the law of cause and effect mm-hmm. as it relates to right. to our human experience and the either decrease or increase of suffering. Right. So let me just see if I can summarize that. Like, so there's this chain of action, reaction, action, reaction, action, reaction that we can't stop because action is unstoppable. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we're at the base, back to the base definition of karma. It's just action and you right. can't stop action. Right. You can't willfully stop yourself from breathing or stop your heart from beating or stop yeah. your blood from circulating yeah. right? or stop your eyes from blinking. Like eventually right. they're going to do it. Right. Right? You're right. going to get hungry. Right. So there's this strong action that's happening and then we're shaping it through the repetition of our habitual patterns. Mm -hmm. And if those patterns are habitually unconscious, we're creating an entire world for ourselves based on the the power of action that's shaping our our Mm body-mind. And if we're not able to be aware that we're actually taking action, Mm -hmm. then we unconsciously create an an entire entire life, an entire repetitive pattern. And that's what samsara means right right? a cycle that repeats itself the same cycle repeats itself right 
And because, like you said, usually we're running from an uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. Um, this is sort of programmed into our basic survival mechanism to, mm-hmm. to, to, to not really desire to be in pain. <laughs> yeah, totally. So there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But the flip side is that almost always our unconscious actions are actions that are intending to get us out of the current discomfort that we feel. Right. And then we take a new action. Right. And so essentially we create a karmic pattern of avoidance. Yeah. And usually it tends to exasperate and make the unpleasant experience continue. (laughs) Even though the strategy, the intention is to get away from it. Absolutely. That's why it doesn't create the effect that we're looking for. Exactly. This is why I said, you know, we think we're masters of manipulation of cause and effect, but we actually, all of us really suck at it. (laughs) And and, until we get more and more aware of why we take any kind of action. And, Mm -hmm. And I think, um, yeah, the results are deplorable. Like it, we make it worse, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and that that law of exacerbation is like you know people think. Exacer- <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Well, I mean, you know, it's if true. you were to walk up to someone on the street, right, and just say, "What does karma mean?" and they would yeah. say, "Like, well, if you walk by and scratch someone's car." And you don't tell them that's bad karma, so your car is going to get strat- scratched. Usually, mm-hmm. karma has an association of negative, negative things that you do will be then done to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's interesting that that's kind of our like, yeah. cultural take. I mean, I think there's some truth to that. Too. Well, that's why I, th- I yeah. think it's interesting because there is some truth to that. It's yeah. sort of like unknowingly you can cause your own suffering. Right. Like if that's if that's our sort of cultural wisdom around it, then that's pretty cool because mm-hmm. cause it's true. Unknowingly, we do yeah. cause a lot of our own suffering. Right, right. And if we can understand karma better and understand our own volition, yeah. our own intention better, then I think we become more skillful at playing with the law of cause and effect. Right. And I think the essence of part of what the yogic practice and yogic discipline is in some senses, right, in one definition is developing the capacity to intervene on the process more intentionally. Mm. Because through meditation, for example, in yogic practice and asana, we could just become more aware, right? We become more mindful. We, we increase our nervous system and our you know, internal capacity to just be robust and stay with experience and breathe through it. And then to have mental clarity and focus and concentration to look into experience and penetrate to deep insight. So that can actually allow us to, to, to jump out of that cycle. And I think that's the beauty of yoga practice in some senses, you know, from in a karmic sense, mm-hmm. is that it can help us kind of see our karmic cycles, right, that we're caught up in and help us question and then look into it and investigate. And the view and the wisdom can start to push us in the right direction where on which we can maybe start to, on a deeper level, on a real level, disengage some of the patterning and the habits that's causing us and generating a lot of unnecessary suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it's really important to, to be at peace as a yoga community, right? Mm-hmm. With like how much and how little we can know about or affect karma. Like right. to, to, in other words, to take accountability for however much we can Mm-hmm. change cycles and patterns yeah and to not develop guilt or shame or kind right. of um mm-hmm. to feel you know oppressed or depressed because mm-hmm. we can't trace karmic patterning back far enough to understand why everything happens to us right, right. i had a student this week ask me um 
you know, why I thought this happened and that happened and this happened mm-hmm. in that person's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, there were some things that seemed clear, you know, like there were some patterns that happened in that person's childhood that really made sense in terms yeah. of how they respond to the world now, right? right, right. Certain, things, certain things that they got when they were a child that helped build up a certain aspect of their personality, their trust in life, mm-hmm. and certain things that they mm-hmm. didn't that seemed like they were still struggling with. And it seemed clear, like we couldn't say that that was, the, the cause. The cause. It's yeah. really difficult to establish an absolute yeah. cause, right. but it's pretty easy to establish a correlation. Correlation, yeah. And I mm-hmm. think it's easy for people to take karma as like as like an all or nothing kind of thing. Right, 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 right. And in my experience and in all of my studies, the deeper I dug, the more I found that the the, the wisest teachings were always the ones that were sort of in this middle ground right, right, right. where there's causation, but it's not so black and white. Right. And if, if you don't understand the why of it, it doesn't disempower you. Right. You could still use your yoga practice. You could use your postures and your breathing exercises and your meditation very skillfully to unravel your patterning without mm. necessarily even knowing why you, how, yeah. why or how you yeah. arrived at the, at the point yeah. at which you are. Right. So I guess what I'm saying is that I've seen karma used, the idea of karma used as like a, that you could trace karma back with like a perfect regression mm-hmm. back to sort of before you were born or you were in utero mm-hmm. and gain a kind of absolute clarity about your life and why everything happened to you. And I just don't see that happening for very many people. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's impossible. Some people right. maybe have that kind of insight. Yeah. But if you don't, it doesn't mean that you you can't use the law of karma and right. yoga technology to really affect the future yeah. and to yeah. heal the past. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good point. So it's like, there's a, like, like we were talking about earlier, or you were saying earlier, there's a certain amount of choice we can have, right? A certain amount of influence we can have through our action on this sort of cascading effect of karma in our lives and simultaneously the question is can we actually control everything through our karma and it's like um i don't know about that probably not right so it's like that's to me that's like the middle ground you're talking about we're like okay well there's that beautiful i think it's a from the bible right it's like oh lord give me the courage to change the things that i can and the wisdom and then was it lord Hoping to you know know the things that can change and the things that cannot and the wisdom to know the difference something right. like that. Yeah. So it's like there's a certain amount of effect that I can have and also there's a certain amount of surrender and opening that I have to do to be okay with not having control over everything. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's an important balance to strike in the practice too because we can again exasperate control freak tendencies. Right. Micromanage with, the karma. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know if that's really helpful on a certain level. Yeah. I think the Bhagavad Gita does a really good job of, of giving mm-hmm. us a framework for, for decisive action, cohesive action mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. surrender. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the merging point of karma yoga mm-hmm. and bhakti yoga. It's right. like, if you fall completely into a bhakti mode, you could sort of surrender all volition right. and sort of dwell in non-action, which is totally beautiful to be in that, that deep surrender and just trust the current or grace. But, but then if you, if you stay in that and you never lift your hand to actually put the food into your mouth and just expect that divine is going to feed you, you're going to starve to death. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like the old mm-hmm. story where the guys, mm-hmm. um, you know, on top of the house, like screaming in the flood, the flood is, you know, right. coming up over his right, house. Right, right. 
and you know God sends a you know a helicopter and a boat and the yeah. guys keep keeps waiting for like oh, a God's gonna save him. divine grace yeah. you know to save him so it's like right in front of our face is 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 the divine mm -hmm. and we can have a certain element of surrender like we can't do everything yeah but we have to do as much as is our part mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I love the, the there's a saying in um, in in India that our percent of action is 50 percent mm -hmm. and the other 50 percent is grace right but you have to do a hundred percent of your 50 percent yeah and that means like self-care you got to feed yourself well you got to do your practice you got to do everything that you know to the best mm -hmm. of your ability mm -hmm. to fulfill the best of your capacity yeah and the rest is somewhat mysterious mm -hmm. the rest is cause and effect happening sort of beyond our human ability to, yeah. to understand it yeah um so yeah it's a it's a real risk to think that we can we can micromanage mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. because like you said earlier there's an assumption when you go to yoga class that you're going to get a certain result we assume the, the law of cause and effect yeah. but what we assume is that is that we control all of the micro effects that happen from our cause. Imagine rolling a bowling ball down a mountain, right? Like you can control the release of the ball in the general direction that it's gonna go down the mountain through mm -hmm. the cause of controlling your fingers letting go. Right. But you can't control everywhere that that ball is gonna go. Right, right, right. And it might be constructive <laughs> right. in that it breaks down some barrier that everyone was trying to get through, or it might break down a door of someone's cabin. <laughs> so we don't have absolute control of all mm -hmm. of the micro effects that happen yeah. from causes. Yeah. And they're not sort of, because you could use cause and effect as the ultimate self-shaming mechanism. Right. Right, if I were in absolute control of my action, I would really try to never hurt anyone. Yeah. But even when I have volition to do something wholesome and I, and I actuate that intention, mm -hmm. sometimes I still hurt people. Right, right. And that's because there's micro effects from every cause that I can't control. Right. Well, so in the Bhagavad Gita, it says, you know, Krishna is like, okay, well, you have a right to your action, but not the fruit of it. Exactly. So it's like you can't control or be attached to the end result, but you can do your best with the highest intentions and engage the action out of selflessness and out of service to, you know, Krishna says to me, right? Offer up your, your action to me. Right. And have pure intent, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky, right? Because if I could see from a, from a devotion perspective, if you just constantly focus on pure intent and you never watch the cascade of your actions, mm -hmm. you could become unskillful. For sure. Like if I repeatedly attempt to teach a certain topic, and I keep hurting people's feelings and not figuring out a more skillful way to do it. Right. It might, it might, maybe it's a cultural difference. Maybe I'm teaching in another country and, and my mm -hmm. way of, of gesticulating yeah. is offensive to them. Right? <laughs> like here I do thumbs up and it means great. And there it means up yours. You know? right, right, right. If I don't change that, that behavior, I'm not being skillful. So it's like this right. dance so of dance. being like, yeah. of really giving the fruits of our actions to, to the whole, to the divine, and also being ever more skillful and accountable mm -hmm. and continually having this, I feel like the spirit of growth, you know, like yeah. an eternal student. Yeah. To me, karma is like an opportunity to mm -hmm. constantly grow. Yeah. 
it's always surprising me. <laughs> Let me like, it's okay if I pull back a little bit and like go into some of like just present some of the Buddhist perspectives on yeah, karma totally. and whatnot, and like and then we can kind of like use that as a platform to go into further discussion. Yeah. So, as far as I understand, um, Buddhist concepts of karma, there are places where it's black and white in a sense, or so like you can't have a positive effect from a negative action, right? In a sense that like if you went to say go harm someone, you're not going to get a positive result from that. Mm -hmm. And conversely, if you went and engaged in acts of generosity and that was your intent, you can't have a negative result from that, they say. Just as much as that you can't plant a watermelon seed and get squash, right? It's like, so, and then people hear that and they're like, well, what about the dude who went to the bank, killed people, and stole money and got away with it? You know, or the politician who took hundreds and thousands of dollars from corporations and gave away public land or public resources, you know, and mm -hmm. all these people like suffered from it or Native Americans suffered from it. Mm -hmm. And they have all this money now and they live in luxury mm. for the rest of their life. Mm. It's like, what's up there? And that's a really great question, mm. right? Like the cultural question, why do bad people seem to have good karma sometimes? Right, right, right. Okay. And, then, and then I've heard Buddhists say, well, number one, karma there's a time lag, <laughs> right? They got it coming, baby. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they're screwed in the next life, right? So it's 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 fucked up. We shouldn't be laughing about it, but you know, it's like so. Even though they're reaping the benefits of it, them reaping the benefits right now are from actually a different cause, right? So, for example, in the politician's case, them getting a hundred thousand dollars from another act of charity a long time ago that fruited in this later time period of they get, them getting money and them having sort of a negative impact on the people around them through selling out their land or whatever is going to have a further negative consequence in the future mm -hmm. which i think is an interesting and brilliant sort of yeah explanation you know how karma does have some time lag it doesn't always you know cause and effect doesn't always function in the way that we think it does it, yeah know? it almost never does right mm -hmm. it's sort mm -hmm. of like well, I think just just as a you know, in the spirit of discussion, it's really difficult to identify positive and negative. Sure. Right. It's the it's the old uh, Chinese fable, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. The um, basically, you know, that that anything that looks positive in one moment could be negative in the next moment, right? Sure. The old man from the village, you know, has only one plow horse or only one workhorse, and he's unable to work the land, mm -hmm. and then his son comes home. You know, and starts working the land with him. Yeah, I was just reading this other day. Right, you know, this whole this whole mm -hmm. story. And then he finds a wild horse. He tries to break the horse so they could have two horses to actually do all the work that they need to do. He falls off the horse, breaks his leg. Right. That's bad, right? right. Unpleasant. Yeah, Unpleasant, painful. right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's negative or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then the military comes around recruiting for the war, right? And he, he mm -hmm. avoids the draft. So that's right. good. You know, it's like... So it's really difficult to understand like what what's was actually positive, what's, what's positive, actually, what's negative, and yeah. what's the volition behind things. Right. And so I think that teaching is really poignant as a mm -hmm. teaching mm -hmm. because what it does is it 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 forces us to be honest with our our intention. Yeah. And I think as a teaching tool, it's great. And, right. And I mean, uh, by no means do I want to discount the potency of of thinking that 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 can serve as a skillful tool right. for helping us wake up. Right. But I think if it's taken mm. at face value, yeah. if it's taken as dogma, mm -hmm. then as Westerners trained in the scientific model, we'll rip it apart. 
-hmm. because it doesn't actually hold water mm -hmm. as a as a mechanical thing but as a very personal tool i think it's really it's basically like check yourself before you wreck yourself you know <laughs> kind of thing like what's your right. intent right. of course positive results results that are wholesome results that are life affirming results that are mm. life supporting don't come from from actions or causes that are life harming or intending mm -hmm. to be unwholesome or mm -hmm. unvirtuous yeah but sometimes people who perform numerous unvirtuous actions have really good luck right and that that shouldn't dissuade us from still endeavoring to follow the path of virtue right right so i love that you brought it there because i think that's to me the the most important part of it is like what kind of life do you want to live? Who are who, who do you want to create yourself as, right? In a sense, because we are having impact, we are generating an identity inevitably. We, so, like like Krishna said, you can't not act, right? So, in the process of acting, what are we doing? What's the impact? Even though we can't always predict the impact, what are we putting out there through our intent? And and this also gets into the the reflection or contemplation of mind stream too like how does it affect the mind stream because mm. it's like i remember one buddhist teacher said oh, you know, the karma cam is always on mm. it's like you are always seeing yourself do something and you are always with yourself as you experience the intention to do something mm. and you're always watching as you choose which ones to indulge or not right and it's like even this last couple of days i reflect back on some of the more unwholesome things i've done or like things that were kind of questionable and in intent and those things haunt me you know from years ago and those are the things that i remember not the not the good things i did mm. and it's interesting you know i was reflecting on that yesterday so it's like everything that we do it's like we always see ourselves do that you can't run from that and i remember years ago talking to a friend and he was telling me about this guy homeless guy he ran into in la and he was apparently an ex-military person operative like a secret black ops operative and they used to go into i think columbia and raid um these uh, cocaine farms hmm. and refineries with native people and they would just massacre everyone and take all the cocaine and toss it on an unmarked plane and ship it to the US. And he did that for years and one day one of his buddies got shot and he just lost it at that point. And he like basically took over the plane, threw his buddy on a plane and flew back. And then he just like dished, he, you know, he just basically kind of went crazy and just discharged from the military. And then I think when my friend ran into him, it was 15 years later or something. And he told my friend, I was like, I am living this life as a homeless person to atone for what I did mm. back in the day. Because I feel so horrible and I can't live with myself. Mm. And then you kind of think about, you know, there's, yeah, there's PTSD, but there's also people who've gone into wars and, you know, just killing people and doing all that. It's, I think it eats away at our human conscience, you know, for a lot of us. And so I think on that level for me, um, being sensitive, meditating, the more I'm aware of like what I'm doing and how my mind states are, it makes me more sensitive to how I act in the world and what kind of intentions that I, I choose to engage with. Because, you know, I'm a human. I have all sorts of intentions, some positive, some negative that arise in my mind stream. But the more I am aware I am, you know, I can choose which ones to act from and which ones to not act from, you know, which to me is the application of being skillful. Mm -hmm. and to be mindful mm. and then as a result i'm just more at peace just for my own peace of mind you know when i pass away like i can look back at my life and be like wow you know i did all right <laughs> i fucked up a little bit 
but I learned from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think if I'm gonna go, when I go, I, I like to go that way. So in that sense, karma, you know, my actions and the consequences of that. Um, I don't know if, you know, being generous financially is gonna make me rich, <laughs> you know, but sure does make me feel better, you know, versus if I'm like cheating people all their money and being, you know, um, like a miser, you know, with my resources and my energy. Right. So it's a good point that, that I mean, you say it kind of tongue in cheek, but that, like, I don't know if being generous will make me rich. And I think mm -hmm. that's, you're sort of joking, but I think that there's a, there is a cultural secret agenda use of karma, right? And <laughs> I love attraction. Kind of yeah. Like I don't want to imply <laughs> that that's, that's, uh, there's something negative uh -huh. about it, but I think that it is easy to appropriate the law of karma and to use good deeds as an investment system to get yourself more good deeds later. <laughs> right, right, right. And from what I have under, I had a teacher call me, call me out on, on that. Cause I asked that question and, and yeah. when I was at a retreat in Nepal uh -huh. and he was like, what do you think about it? And, and I was much younger and less censored. And I said, yeah, I think that's kind of like BS, you know, like that's not, and he kind of called me on like being too judgmental about it, but he did say, let me tell you the story about Tibet students of Tibetan Buddhism who, who learn about the idea of merit and learn about the law of cause and effect and learn about the notion of accumulating good merit mm -hmm. to increase the probability of a higher birth later mm -hmm. where they have more access to teachings. Mm -hmm. And he said, so essentially people are doing a business transaction right. with the law of karma, whereby they knowingly do good actions, but they have a partially personal intent right. of accumulating this storehouse of positive karma. Right. And he said, that intent of manipulation is its own type of negative karma. Mm -hmm. Mm. And he was like, when you do, when yeah. you do positive actions, they have to be truly with a pure heart, with pure bodhicitta, yeah. with a pure sense of wanting of, en of enlightened mind, right? right? Of wanting all beings to be free right. from suffering, right. not wanting them to be happy. And for you also to get some brownie points. Right. Uh, it was so that stuck in my mind yeah, so great. strongly because well, I could see it in myself and I could see it yeah. in our culture, you know, yeah. like there's that sense yeah. of like, Oh, do good unto others so that they'll do good unto you. Right, 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 and right. I don't want to poo poo that because if that's what gets people to, to sort of take virtuous action, yeah, go for it. But, but as yogis, mm -hmm. I think most of the people listening are practitioners, you know, as yogis, mm -hmm. we have to be, we have to be even more, relentless with our self-honesty yeah. and sort of go, if you really want, if you really want your heart to be free and you really want your conscience to be clear and you really at the moment of death want to be able to let go and say, you really, you really more often than not, we're acting from a place where your heart was really pure. Then we have to catch ourselves with trying to play the karma game. Yeah. Like do good because it's the right thing to do, right. not because you're hoping so that you'll get some credits later. Right. Well, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, but it's like doing good because it's the right thing to do still to me sometimes, not in your case, but like for some people it's unconscious still, you know, it's like, what do you mean? Well, it's, it's like if you, if you get it, if you get it as a dogma, like someone tells you, oh, do good because uh, it's the right thing to do. Like give me an, I think I know what you mean, but mm -hmm. give me an example. Mm -hmm. Well, just someone just tells you, okay, like your parents tell you do good. 
and it's another thing to kind of have an like give to this this charity because it's the right thing to do but you mm -hmm. don't feel it you just do it because you're supposed to right out of obligation or the obligation like yeah, yeah 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 i think that's kind of a slightly different state as as opposed to again what you said like with bodhicitta like actually with a deep sense of connection to beings and care you know extending out of kindness and compassion mm. like engaging in empathy and caring for other beings mm. uh I want to just repeat the the model of what you were talking about earlier with the Buddhist model because I think that's really okay. important if that's okay. Which is like, uh, yeah, like in a lot of Tibetan Buddhist circles, right? There's the whole idea of karma, and you use karma because you need to generate a lot of merit or positive karma, right? Good karma to become liberated in a sense. It contributes to the conditions that lead to liberation, right? Or direct perception of emptiness. So you do a lot of the good deeds to build up your karmic points including like serving your teacher right, mm -hmm. or your parents, which are considered to be high karma objects. Mm -hmm. So making offerings, yeah, making offerings, taking care of them generates a lot of positive karma. And there's a whole set of like criteria around how to generate positive karma mm -hmm. and what generates negative karma. What gets more points. And even, yeah, and even taking vows are considered to be important because when you take a vow or, or like Buddhist precepts and then you keep them, you get even more powerful karma. Right. And I can kind of also understand that as a mental technique yeah. of like you commit to something and you follow through with those good deeds, you know? Sure. Yeah. But then, so, but like you said, that could turn into a business transaction where you're still trying to get something for yourself versus what you said was bodhicitta, which means awakened mind, right? Of the word Buddha's mind and awakened mind, which is the intention truly to serve beings, to awaken, to help other beings. And to really cultivate that pure loving heart of selfless service, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is very similar to what the Bhagavad Gita was saying, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of like, okay, can you act without attachment to the end result? And can you act just for the sake of action, for serving, for serving beings? Without a for me involved, what's mm -hmm. in it for me? It's like yeah. um, to yeah. use the sort of American business term without thinking of the ROI, right? It's like the return on investment <laughs> phenomenon. Right, 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 right. Which is, oh God. It's so tricky to yeah. do that, right? I mean, this yeah. is like, this is where the Zen, I, I just, I see the Zen master with the stick hitting me, you know? It's like, are you here seeking enlightenment? It's like, well, yeah, that's why I came, you know? Like, I, I realize I'm suffering. Mm -hmm. I realize why. And I want to free myself from that. Whack! Like, why are you hitting me? What's wrong with being here seeking enlightenment? Don't you see that you're seeking enlightenment for yourself? The self part of you wants enlightenment for right. you. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking of other beings. You're not selflessly yeah. sitting in Zazen. Yeah. You're yeah. sitting in Zazen with an ulterior motive right. to reach enlightenment for yourself. Right. Whack! Right, 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 That's right, against right. Mahayana principle, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, fuck, you know? <laughs> I thought, I thought meditation and seeking enlightenment was like the best thing I could do until I got right. whacked. Right. And it's like, what a wake up call to how deep self-serving egoic agenda uh, goes yeah. in us. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, gosh, to, yeah. do, to do, to do meditation or, you know, like what I, mm. what I took away from that, those teachings was like all the major things of life are done at least with all beings. Right. So mm -hmm. now before I bathe. I think, okay, I want to bathe because I feel dirty, but like every being that feels unclean and dirty at the end of the day wants to feel clean. So I, I try to share that feeling like, okay, you know, I, I wash body and mind free of dust with all beings. May all beings be clean and clear. 
mm-hmm. or before eating. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm hungry. I need to eat something. Yeah. Well, all beings feel hunger and the, the suffering of hunger is rough mm-hmm. when you don't have something to eat. So may mm-hmm. all beings be fed. Mm-hmm. And so I think in Vajrayana, one of the interesting things that they do with that whole conundrum is to is to sort of like feed the demon of self agenda right is to like know that we want to seek enlightenment for our own enlightenment and we want to feed ourselves because we're hungry but to then turn that into something selfless Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. catching ourselves yeah Yeah. and i think that's really amazing so if you could offer the butter lamp knowing that you want to develop merit but know that ultimately your self-serving agenda is hooking your egoic you know fixation right. mm-hmm. but to then turn it around to light the butter lamp may all beings have merit that develops into good conditions yeah. for the grounds of enlightenment yeah and then we can kind of like we don't yeah. have to judge ourselves for wanting for ourselves yeah yeah and i think that's really at least for americans and western people who already have a tendency to be very guilty mm-hmm. <laughs> right and mm-hmm. to have shame yeah. yeah we don't need another reason for shame right so to be able to catch ourselves and also sort of turn it around, mm. I think, mm. is a really skillful tool that's used yeah. in, it's in Buddhism. I haven't seen that tool used so much in Indian yoga, but it's totally used in Tibetan right. Buddhism. Right. Well, because and, and, I think, my guess, I don't, I don't know that well, but like in Indian yoga, like with the, with the Bhagavad Gita, and the karma, so the karma yoga is an instrument of jnana yoga, right? So it's the, the jnana yoga being the wisdom and the clarity and understanding of the nature of reality and the true being. Right, that's behind all things. So the process of offering to that would be to be offering to all beings because it's what's behind all beings. Mm-hmm. And in, I, I remember more recently I, I was reading Eknath Eswaran's translation of the Bhagavad Gita and there's a lot of passages I noticed about how when we're in that state of knowing and being, that pure, you know, Brahman state, Krishna state, consciousness state, it's like you see all beings as yourself. Okay? And so in that consciousness as you offer it to the ultimate being you're offering it to all beings in a sense right. so i kind of found it there so it's yeah. like all karma yoga is, is is a result is done with the understanding of the jnana yoga right of the nature of reality so when you offer your action to to the divine you are offering it to all beings so that very action becomes a liberating act right because in that moment you're letting go of the self right another really beautiful passage i liked um in the gita i might butcher it but was where Krishna was telling um, Arjuna that all the things that we want as humans, when it comes to us, it's as a result of the devas, mm-hmm. right, the angelic beings, and they're behind us getting what we want, and the, and the devas are pleased by selfless action. And that was really cool because I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And how everything we get every single day, like we don't even reflect on it. Right. Like just the fact that I have a microphone here and sitting with you, who's an awesome person, and we have liquids and food and comfort and shelter and a life and a livelihood and all these things. Yeah, I kind of quote unquote worked for it. And simultaneously, it just kind of rose in my life. Right. These things are given to me in a way constantly. We take every day without even thinking about it. Mm. And the least we could do in return is to engage in selfless action as a way of sort of balancing the scale, mm. right? Because so much is being offered to us every single day and we take it for granted. And we assume that we as individuals acquired it through our own effort. Mm-hmm. 
And that's so egotistical. That's like over esteeming our part of the karma, right? That's like, <laughs> right, right, that's right. like thinking we did 80% instead of 50%. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, the, the power of I right. have generated all of this. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, the all powerful, have generated this reality as God and I have created everything. It sounds so sinister when I think about it. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that's that's a good point. But on the on the incoming, like you're you're saying, like w- being aware of the stream of the incoming things that we receive and practicing gratitude for that for the reception mm-hmm. of the cause and effect that brings anything into manifestation that we yeah. have at our disposal, the clothes, right? You know, I mean, I the the way I understand it and apply it is is again in the food prayer that I just do quickly in my mind before eating, and it's mm. it's kind of looking at the plate of food, let's say it's rice and, and steamed broccoli and some salmon or something. Mm-hmm. So seeing like where those things came from and then where those things came from and then where those things came from and realizing, gosh, there's so many things that had to happen for this right. food to come here. Right. Like, you know, I didn't grow the rice. I don't know how to grow rice. I would fail at growing <laughs> rice if I had to feed myself until I learned how to do it. Right. Right. Um, I grow some kale in my, you know, garden, but I don't grow broccoli. Mm-hmm. And, you know, salmon had to die for but me to have But that kale, lunch. dude, it's just kind of growing itself, right? <laughs> At a certain level. It's like you sprinkle some water yeah, on water it. water once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like the sun, yeah. the rain, the earthworms. Mm-hmm. There's like an infinite matrix of beings that yeah. all contributed to my lunch. Yeah. And that's how I wrap my head around feeling that gratitude for the incoming mm-hmm. and how I'm not, I'm not doing it all. I'm not even right. sustaining this body with my own effort. Right. And, um, somehow it softens my mm-hmm. heart. Like mm-hmm. it makes me feel more inspired to do something with the energy I derive from that food yeah. that might benefit other people and right. not just myself. Right. Right. Whereas if I mindlessly scarf down the food because mm. I'm hungry, like I did today, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you were looking at me with those mean eyes earlier. When I was eating. Well, pho is pretty yummy. It's hard to eat it slow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think having, having a lot of different tools for how we can personally engage with the law of, cause and effect in a way that Mm -hmm. gives us insight is really powerful because Mm -hmm. the fact is, you know, like we said a couple of times, you can't stop acting. So we might as well use action as one of the primary means for waking up. Yeah, it can be. And I think that was the essence of the yagya too, the ritual, in my opinion. Mm. It was like rituals were done as an act of selfless action, as as a way of being able to remember the interdependence and interconnected of life and to take something that we like or want and to offer it up to the other beings because we receive so much. And as a recognition and honoring of that circle of life, the giving and receiving of life and stopping in different points in the day, like in the Bali culture where they make offerings, Hmm. right? Multiple times a day and stuff. And I think that's a really beautiful practice and meditation. I love to find more ways to integrate that. Mm. Cause I think this is really, you're right. I think it's a really powerful meditation. And because we're such beings of action in the modern day, right? We're acting all day. Our whole day can turn into like a series of amazing meditations, right? In a sense. Divine acts. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's my very liberal interpretation of Brahmacharya, mm-hmm. right? Is action in the divine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like if everything is done with renunciation, if yeah. everything is done with that mindfulness then then we're acting constantly in correlation with the bigger right the bigger livingness of everything dynamic soup of existence and life and juiciness yeah yeah and then everything's mm-hmm. like a prayer right 
um, just to have an asana practice be like that. Is, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. like to step onto the mat, not just because I want my hamstrings to be a little more flexible, but like as a prayer, mm-hmm. you know, as an embodiment of wanting all beings to have flexible hamstrings so they don't have pain in their butt or whatever, or sciatica. <laughs> well, or right. if your issue intention is liberation, right? And like freedom from suffering and greater ease or something like that. You yeah. can step on the mat and, and put your hands together and be like, and this is a great practice, I think, for yoga listeners, you know, to, to really work with that as a practice, not just as this little thing you do in the beginning of class, but like literally as a big part of your practice when you sit down, to really offer that practice to all beings as an act of selflessness. And as you end the practice simultaneously, again, yeah. offering that practice up from your heart and cultivating that heart of offering and compassion and kindness and care for all beings and, and recognition, acknowledgement of interconnectedness, I think is a really potent practice to that beginning. And the Buddhists do that all the time, right? The mandala offerings. Dedicating and, the merit. Yeah, 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 dedicating the merit. I think it's when it's done with true intention and as a way of cultivating that kind of quality in your heart i think it's potent and very transformational very healing i love the idea of capping every practice with that Mm -hmm. you know like whether you do it just you know with the thought of benefiting all beings or you use a mantra like loka samasta sukino bhavantu or yeah or just om shanti or Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's a powerful reminder that we're not just there because we want to feel good right right because let's face it everyone walks in the yoga studio for return on investment (laughs) i mean and there's nothing wrong with that everyone comes to yoga class seeking some level of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. relief release or pleasure but it can be the way one one lama explained it to me in nepal was he he said that's great you come you you do your we were doing tonglen practice you come you do your practice and you get a, a dr- one droplet of benefit for yourself, like a, like a, you know, it quenches the thirst. But when you dedicate the merit before and after, you wish all beings to get it also, even though they're not here doing it with you, you're doing mm-hmm. it. When you give it away, in a sense, that droplet goes into the lake and yeah. all beings come to the lake. And now not just you get to have more than a drop, everyone gets to have a mouthful and, and right. really quench their right. thirst. Well, that's the it's thing. Like though. multiplying the yeah. benefit. Yeah when you don't keep it all for yourself right and just the very act of even activating the quality of selflessness even for a moment i think liberates you and it creates that karma it creates that habituation of selflessness because very often our diseases are suffering our mental anguish is coming from the grasping of the self right so the very practice of selflessness in whatever form it takes does give us a moment of relief actually and the more we accumulate those moments of relief, it can become sort of a constant state of openness and surrender and offering. And when it gains enough momentum, it becomes a reality. Right? You become selfless in a state, in a sense. Hmm. Right? And it'd be interesting to see what happens when you enter that state more consistently, when you hang out there in that groundless ground. Right? Then what is it? Do you have back pain still? Or is your relationship to the back pain the same as it was before when the self was there really strongly? You know, that's an interesting, I think, question mm. that's worth exploring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that, in that place, the mystics say in, in that place, there isn't any more karma. Mm-hmm. If there's no self, then to whom is the karma occurring? Yeah.
Me. <laughs> All right. Feel complete? Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right. All right, thanks for listening. <laughs>